Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And uh, super excited about our guest today, Tim Bratz, who is the CEO and founder of Clee Turnkey Real Estate, which is a real estate investment company that acquires and transforms distressed commercial and apartment buildings. Um, and Tim is, Tim, is, uh, Tim is located in Cleveland, so always excited when uh, I have a, a former Clevelander on the show. Uh, <laughs> So uh, w welcome to the show, Tim. Matt, appreciate you having me, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, having me here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here. So may maybe just get us started with, tell us a little bit more about uh, Clee Turnkey. What are you guys up to? What do you focus on? People working for you? Just kind of maybe give us the rundown of, of the business. Yeah, man. Um, so uh, yeah, we started out CLE Turnkey or Clee Turnkey. We try to kind of be hip to uh, Cleveland turnkey real estate. Um, when I got started in real estate, I mean, I, well, I, when I first got turned on to real estate was when I was going through college, uh, 03 to 07, when everybody was making money. And so uh, they said, hey, if you want to make money, get involved in real estate. And that's kind of what motivated a 20-year-old kid at the time. So I actually moved out to your neck of the woods, New York City, where my brother was living at the time, and became a commercial real estate agent. And so I brokered um, a retail space that was 400 square feet. It was $10,000 a month. The lease was it with 4% escalations for a 12 year term. And so I did the math on it. I'm like, man, this landlord is going to be making almost $2 million over the next 12 years for something he did one time. And I, I realized then that I was on the wrong side of the coin instead of brokering real estate. I needed to be owning real estate. So I, uh, I up and moved down to Charleston, South Carolina on a whim. Uh, bought my first house actually on a credit card, didn't have any money, but I was resourceful enough to just call up my credit card company, ask for an increase on my limit, and then uh, bought my first house uh, foreclosure on my credit card in 2009 and made about $14,000 on it um, in 75 days. And I was a punk 23-year-old kid at the time, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing, and it's the worst housing market ever, and I just made money. So did it again, did it again, got involved in that whole wholesaling um, uh thing. And then, uh, you know, I met people who had money who maybe didn't have the expertise or didn't have the time to invest in real estate. Um, so they, they, you know, ended up partnering up with me in a way that they put up the money, I did the work and then we split the deals and, uh, man, probably my first like two or 300 deals I did were 50 to 70% of the, of the money I was giving up to, uh, to my private lenders. And, and so it was a lot to give up in a deal. But I realized, you know, I was in my twenties, not a lot of people were willing to lend me money and, um, I need to get these deals under my belt, you know, build a reputation, build a, uh, uh, a resume. And, um, then I could posture up a little bit more. So it was, a it was a good way of doing it. Um, a few years ago, um, one of those partners I was kind of like pretty tight with and they put up about a million bucks. We turned it into like a little over $3 million of property in a couple of years. And, um, and then, you know, partnerships can sometimes go south, you know, uh, when you start making money, people 
Um, or actually when you, when you lose money, people change, God forbid you make money, people really change. You know? <laughs> Everybody so, wants more. Everybody always wants more, right? <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's unfortunate. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, kind of what led me to here. Um, so, you know, almost three years ago, ended up parting ways with, uh, with that business partner and just po- focused on building my own portfolio in the meantime. And, and, um, you know, I, I reflect on my business quite a bit. Uh, usually at least once a quarter where I just take a day, turn off the phone, turn off the email, and I'm just hanging out, um, reviewing my financials, like my net worth, where I'm spending my time, what I'm happy with that I'm doing, what I'm not happy doing, what drives me, what drains me, all those kinds of things I'm asking myself about. And, um, a few years ago, um, I realized like I was doing a lot of turnkey stuff. I hated doing the retail flips. I just wasn't good at it. I didn't have... I had the attention to detail, but I couldn't build a team that had the same attention to detail that I had in these retail flips. And it was just way too emotional for me, uh, dealing with owner occupants and that kind of stuff. So I really focused on turnkey and that's where Cleveland turnkey came from. And so we, we flipped probably about a hundred houses a year in the Cleveland market of all turnkey rentals. So we, we'd buy them, fix them all up, put a tenant in place, open a management company, and then we'd manage it and sell it as like a little packaged property for, uh, for investors. And so that worked really well for a couple of years. We made good money, but we weren't building wealth. And so 12 months ago, a little over 12 months ago, probably 15 months ago, I sat down and I looked at where was I spending my time and where was I building my wealth? And literally 10% of my time went towards my apartment buildings. I had about uh, 350, almost 400 units that I was uh, pretty passive in. I had joint venture partners or uh, my team was kind of managing the, the projects. And then I looked at my net worth and it was 90% of my net worth was in those apartment buildings. So I made a shift and I said, hey guys, we're not buying single family houses anymore. You know, I'm like, what if we just dedicated all of our resources and our entire team to just building up our apartment portfolio? And that's what I did last summer. Um, so we doubled down and said my acquisitions team looking at houses. We started looking at apartments instead of my uh, project management team looking at uh, renovating houses. We started renovating apartments, you know, instead of uh, selling houses, my disposition team then started um, managing assets, our own assets, our own portfolio. And so it was a pretty simple pivot for our business. And, but it, but it's amazing, like when you make a commitment like that to the universe, what what, mm-hmm. what it responds with. And um, you know, I went from uh, I don't know, probably a little over 350 units last year to 1,359 units today, and we have another 700 units under contract right now, closing before the end of the year. So uh, by making that commitment and just burning the ships and cutting ties with the whole residential realm, I was able to double down, and we were able to find great deals. I don't buy anything retail. All I have is like ridiculous deals in the commercial side of things. Uh, most people are like, oh, you can't find deals unless you're, you're getting them at a six or 7% cap rate. Now, like all the deals that I'm getting, you know, they're, they're value add. So we need to go in and, and make some improvements, force the appreciation, create that little bit of sweat equity. And then, uh, uh, but we're at 10 to 14% cap rates in nice B class kind of areas. Um, once we're all stabilized. So, um, there's definitely deals out there. You just got to be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do in order to find the deals that other people then can't find. Yeah. Wow. So there's, there's a lot there I'd love, I'd love to unpack. So I, it, it's, it's interesting to me, you started renting out a, 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 I think you said a 400 square foot, uh, retail space in New York. Bleaker um, and Thompson, man. Right <laughs> the village. It's like, that's not even big enough to really put anything in. It seems like, right. Nope. But like, it's crazy. Um, yeah. 
So, so talk to me. I'd like to kind of just maybe wind back in time a little bit. Like the, so you, you were doing, you went from, you know, one deal on a credit card to two to 300 deals kind of a year. How, how did you, how did you go about scaling up your operations in that way? Right. Cause like, you know, going from a, a couple of flips, maybe a year to, to several hundred a year is a totally different operation. Maybe just talk us through kind of how you, how you got to that. Yeah. I, um, you know, I mean, I think when you, when you get started, especially when you're bootstrapping this thing, you don't have a lot of money, you're doing everything. So, uh, you know, I was doing uh, acquisitions. I was raising private money. I was closing on these things. Sometimes I was even swinging the hammer, doing the work on these properties um, and and just pushing it to the finish line because it wasn't moving fast enough. You know, I'm I'm general contractor. I'm sometimes, like I said, swinging the hammer. And then on the back end, I'm renting the places out. I'm managing, I'm picking up rent. I'm filing evictions. I'm going to eviction court. Like I was doing everything Except um, sleeping. Except sleeping. <laughs> Fortunately, um, I didn't have any kids at the time. I uh, I was engaged and uh, and then married, and then I had a kid on the way. And then I, you know, that that was maybe one of the catalysts of it. Um, I was thinking, hey, I got a kid on the way. I'm not going to be able to work, you know, 16 hours a day. So um, I attended a, a a mastermind. And so, if you're not familiar with that, like it's, the, I went to a real estate mastermind. There were a bunch of high level performers sitting in a room. It wasn't anything formal. We sat around a table and said, Hey, here's what I'm pretty good at. And here's where I really struggle right now. And there's so much brain power around that table of people who have been in the business for a long time that somebody, I mean, you know, I mean, dude, we all deal with the same stuff in business. It's marketing, it's accounting, it's, uh, home, you know, human resources. It's mm-hmm. like cash flow management and finance. Like it's all the same stuff. That's why somebody like Warren Buffett can go into any business and turn it around. Um, there's a business aspect of every business and then there's a technical aspect of every business and you need both in order to have a successful business. And so, um, you know, when I, when I hung out at that mastermind, I met with people who had, uh, the business acumen that, you know, I couldn't see outside my box when you're in a certain situation, like and you're just dealing with a whirlwind of daily activities every single day. You can't see outside of that a lot mm-hmm. of times. And so all I needed was somebody else to tell me probably something that I already knew. And he goes, listen, you just need to hire an assistant. You know, you just need to staff out everything that's under $15 an hour to an assistant. And I was like, dude, you know, and, and in 2014, I made like a hundred thirty, hundred forty thousand dollars that year. And so this is beginning of 2015. And I was like, dude, I, if, if I hire an assistant, that's going to be like a third of my income. I got to pay somebody 30, $40,000 a year. And they broke it down. They're like, no, it's like 25 or $3,000 a month. And so if you try it out for 30 days, you spent $3,000 doing it, not $35,000. And I was like, okay, I can at least give it a try. So I hired an assistant and dude, that was in February or March. It was March of 2015. In the next 10 months, we scaled up, did over a hundred deals that year. And, you know, I made, I don't know, 400 some thousand dollars. And I, and I, tripled my income by making that one hire. And then when I realized how powerful human capital is, you know, I, I then got, uh, an intern from one of the local colleges had them come on and handle acquisitions that summer of 2015. And then, uh, when we started really like making money, you know, I, I talked to some people who I knew like had the greatest work ethic people in the retail industry who maybe didn't have like a, a way to move up the ladder and I offered them an opportunity to come work for me and, um, it worked out really well. And that's how I hired my COO. That's how I hired my property manager, my project manager. That's how I hired my, um, it's now my dispositions or asset manager. 
guy and uh, my acquisitions guy actually didn't end up going back to college. He ended up sticking around. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I have a pretty lean team. It's the same team I had in 2015. Yeah. Uh, there's only five of us. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, it's worked out really well. So, I mean, we still, we still open up a management company. So we have like 13, 14 employees on that side. And then, uh, we have a lot of joint venture partnerships on a lot of our apartment buildings that are out of state. So in South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas, and all those areas, we have a local boots on the ground partner who has their own kind of like operation and everything. But, uh, I like those joint ventures because it allows us to do more deals without actually bringing on more overhead, which is very stressful to me. Yep. Yep. Totally makes sense. We had a we had Jay Scott. I don't know if you know Jay on the podcast, yeah. and he he talked about um, you know spending spending his time and really any entrepreneur spending your time where you make the most money for your business. And mm-hmm. you know, accounting may not be the place that you make your money, right? So like whether it's right. raising money or finding deals or whatever that is in terms of you know driving the most revenue for the company for you and really all of your people. Everything else should be should be outsourced to specialists for the most part. 100%, man. So what, I want to I want to get into one thing you said you, you talked about kind of um, you know the business kind of skills that you need and then the technical skills that you you know that a business has to have that's specific to that business. And specifically like when you guys made this pivot from kind of the residential space more to the apartment commercial space I imagine there's there's somewhat of a, a different technical skill set needed for that asset class versus maybe what you had more experience with. How, how did you guys go about learning how to make good investment decisions and, and buy a different type of asset class and do so as well as you have, you know, while, while at the same time kind of climbing, you know, that technical learning learning curve? Yeah, so I, I don't think you can know everything before you get involved. And I think, you know, we started out with like an eight unit and then another eight unit and then a 14 unit and scaled up into a 23 and then a 30 and then a 60 and then an 84. And so, you know, I think you go through life, you go through business. And um, I was actually just watching uh, Ray Dalio, who who's owns the largest hedge fund in the United States. He just got the book Principles. And I was watching one of his videos the other day and he's like, listen, like, you take a look at Darwinism, you either like something happens and then you either have to adapt or you die, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so you just got to keep on adapting. Like you got to, you're going to keep on tripping and then you're going to keep on adapting. And then as you adapt, you're going to have higher level problems that now you're more suited to respond to. Um, but it's still going to be problems. You got to keep on adapting. And as long as you can, um, solve a lot of problems. The more problems you solve, the more money you're going to make. The highest paid people, the most powerful people in the entire world are all problem solvers. CEOs, um, you know, politicians, like they're people who actually solve problems. And so um, from my perspective, I tell my team, listen, problems are going to hit us every single day. We're going to get kicked in the teeth every single day. We just need to be able to adapt and problem solve. If we can critically think and solve that problem better than somebody else, then we're going to be more successful than them, um, than that other company. So that's all we've done. Like, I mean, I've, I've gotten crushed, you know, I, I mean, I've had people that beg bug and, and roach issues and <laughs> bug problems in my apartment buildings. I've had drug dealers come in and scare away all the other tenants. I've had prostitution in the hallways. I've had, um, buildings burned out. I bought a distressed property, a 30 unit building. This is my crown jewel at the time. This is like my, my, uh, my Santa Maria of all my ships. You know, this is, this is it. And, uh, I got this 30 unit apartment building and, uh, these bunch of tenants, you know, there was 20 of the 20 of the units were occupied and literally 10 of the tenants were paying and that's it. So I had evicted about 10 tenants 
and they're like, who the hell is this guy coming in telling me to pay rent? I haven't paid rent in a year. You know, right, so, right. so now they're mad at me. I'm the jerk. Because uh, I expect them to pay their their rent, and uh, the one guy just caused wreaked havoc on the building for like three weeks, and then he ended up lighting a fire in his kitchen and uh, burned the whole building down, like down to the shell. And so, um, again, this is my this is my crown jewel of my entire operation. <laughs> Burns to the ground like it was the biggest punch in the gut I could have gotten at the time, and it probably one of the catalysts to that partnership going south because it was very stressful because we didn't have the cash coming in. We got in a lawsuit with the insurance company, and it was like three and a half years later that it finally got settled. So, um, you know, like you just got to roll with the punches. You know, I think in, in one of the Rocky movies, he goes, you know, it's not about how hard you're hit. You're going to get hit. You know, life's not all sunshine and rainbows. Um, but it's not about how hard you're hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. And that's how winning is done. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of message and the kind of culture I try to convey to my team. Like we're going we're gonna to deal with problems every day. The reason that we deal with these problems is because other people can't deal with them. And that's why we're going to be able to be more successful than all these other companies. Yep. Yep. Totally. So I, I think you did something, uh, you talked a little bit about it, but I'd like, I'd like to dig in more kind of to your thinking on this. And I think it's super courageous. I think, you know, when, when entrepreneurs are getting started, right, they have nothing to lose. So making pivots is like, it's kind of easy, right? Because like you're leaving something that's not Good that question. big, you know, but as you start to build up your business and you have something, right, like the tendency, and I struggle with this even, the tendency is to like hold on to what you have, even if maybe it's not making as much money or it's... Yep. You know, the market's not as big as you thought it was or whatever that is. Um, so like walk us through kind of your, your thought process there of like, you've got this machine that's cranking out, you know, a hundred or more flips a year. You're probably making some money and then you're like, we're going to stop doing this and do, do something else. Like that's a, that's a bold, courageous move. Like <laughs> how did you get your head around that? And like, how did you get your team to kind of enroll in that move? And just maybe talk us through a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, so, so great question. Yeah, we still had deals in the pipeline. And what happened was, it, you know, it's probably, hey, we're going to focus a little bit more on apartment buildings. Let's see if we can find a couple apartment buildings. And, and so there was probably about a 60-day time frame where we were still buying single family and, um, and at the same time looking at some apartment buildings. And then we popped uh, one we, we acquired an apartment building and then we, we popped a wholesale deal on another apartment building where we made $100,000 on it. So that now gave me enough money to pad the bank account um, to cover overhead for the next few months. And so that was kind of the catalyst. Once we had that one, I said, hey, not doing any of these single family. And we, we were dealing with some headaches on the, on the you know, every time. Retail flips for me are like hangovers. It's like drinking. Like you go out, you got a real good idea. You're like, hey, man, we're going to go out. We're going to get after it tonight. You know, oh, this is an awesome house. You know, I think we can make a bunch of money on it. And then as soon as you buy it, you're dealing with contractor headaches. It's like a hangover. You're like, oh, my God, I'm never doing this again. Like <laughs> worst thing ever, never drinking again, never rehabbing again. Like that's my life when it comes to retail HGTV kind of flips. And uh, we were going through that on three, four houses at the time. And so it was me being so pissed off about that. And then at the same time, popping a couple of these like wholesale and apartment deals, I'm like, why are, why are we even doing like burn the ships? We're not doing any of that stuff anymore. We have enough money in the bank where we can cover, you know, overhead for the next few months. And then when we did that, we picked up a 20 unit and then we picked up a, um, a 74 unit portfolio. We picked up a 48 unit all within like uh, four, four or five months thereafter. And, and, and uh, an 18 unit that we flipped made another $130,000 on that. So, you know, it, it was, uh, 
it was a little bit of that, but I think a lot of it is like you said, like you're, when you, when you come from nothing and then you make money and you have assets, now you're like almost afraid to lose it. Yep. And so you put a lot of these safety nets in place as well. So, you know, you make sure you have the right insurance, you make sure that, um, all the docs and, and legal aspects and, and, uh, LLCs and stuff are, are in place for asset protection purposes. And, um, and we started out with some smaller buildings and, uh, just kind of scaled up from there. And so we got a small building stabilized, then we got a bigger building stabilized, then we got our biggest building stabilized. And, um, you know, then we started doing some joint venture partnerships. I, I was able to raise a lot of capital and, um, let other people, do the work, find the deals, oversee the value add renovations and everything. And I, I was able, I have the balance sheet to be able to sponsor other people's deals um, who are trying to get into apartment buildings. And so I was able to come in, sponsor, get the loans, get the financing for them, and then also raise the private money for the down payment. So they didn't have to bring any money to the table. They just needed a good work ethic. And um, that allowed us to take some equity in some of these other deals and kind of diversify our portfolio, if you will, um, into some other markets around the country and be completely passive in doing so. And so that was another thing that, that we started doing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's worked out really, really well. I actually really like the, uh, the joint venture stuff. So when you're, when you're talking about doing joint ventures, that's, you guys are kind of bringing the money, the expertise, the, the, the balance sheet to get the, to get the, the, the credit and then, you're looking for people to partner on the operation side, find the deals, yep. do the value add. Got it. Yep. yep. Makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so we, we do some mentoring and stuff on that side and you know, it's kind of a la carte. Like some people are like, Hey man, I got money. I got my own balance sheet. I just want to make sure I don't fall on my face on, the, on this apartment building deal. Cause I've never done one. And so, yep. Hey Tim, will you come in and, um, you know, just kind of coach and mentor and I'll give you some piece of the equity. And so, yeah, hundred percent cool with doing that. If they need a little bit more help, um, that's okay too. And, um, you know, we, we can help raise the money. I could just sign, get the loan, like whatever that looks like. And based on how much value I'm bringing to the table versus how much they're bringing, you know, we just figure out a way that's, uh, that's equitable for, um, how we split up the equity in the deal. Very cool. Very cool. So you, t- you talked a little bit about some stories here that are, you know, what I would consider to be, you know, unscripted and, and getting punched in the face and having to kind of, um, you know, improvise your way through to solve the problem. I'd love to, I'd love to hear another one from you around, um, if you have one around the, it sounds like you've raised a lot of private money. Um, sometimes private money goes well, sometimes maybe it goes less than well. Like I'd love to hear a a private, (laughs) a private money story, obviously without, uh, without naming names. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I have, um, I have an infamous one that I was posting about on social media a few months ago and uh good buddy of mine, real good friend sold his, um, he like a man, like a, actually it was e-commerce business and sold it for, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars. Hang on. So he sells his e-commerce business and he, he put, I don't know, two, two and a half million bucks with me in the span of like, I don't know, a few months. And so, um, I think he's got all this money set aside. I tell him about a big portfolio I'm buying down in Georgia and I need to raise $4 million for it. He goes, uh, I shoot him a text message. He goes, hang on a second. Let me make a few phone calls. I'll get right back with you. He makes a couple phone calls. I, I figure it was like to his financial advisor or somebody. And he texts me back 30 minutes later and he goes, I'm good for all four. So I was like, Dude, this is like the easiest it's ever been to raise private money. You know, it's one of those <laughs> it things should have been red like, flag number one, right? <laughs> if, it's, if it's that easy, right. <laughs> something, something's too good to be true. So he, he calls me, um, 
or like I'm sitting on my hands for the next 90 days because my joint venture partner in Georgia is handling all the due diligence. You know, we got the loan already lined up. Um, everything's squared away. So we're ready to take this thing down in June of this year. And uh, uh, I fire him out a message in like, I don't know, middle of May. And I'm like, hey, man, we're closing in like three weeks. Just want you to let you know, give you courtesy to queue up the money and um, plan on like first week in June. And he calls me, um, hits me back. He's like, hey, man, I don't have it yet, but I think I will. Da, da, da. I was like, what do you mean you don't have it yet? He goes, no, I'm, I'm launching a cryptocurrency and we got an ICO happening and I have a bunch of commitments for the money, but it's not like it hasn't hit the bank account yet. I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, just keep you posted, but I'm a little bit nervous at the same time. So a week goes by, two weeks go by. Hey, how are we doing? He goes, you know, I got some, but not all of it. Uh, but I'm going to this conference in, in Africa, you know, cause I guess that's where all the cryptos are or something. Uh, that, that Puerto Rico. Red flag number two, funding and deal yeah, with cryptocurrency. All right. Yeah, Red flag three, maybe Africa. <laughs> no, and he's like, he's like, yeah, no, no, there's, pe- there's pension funds. And some uh, some royal families that are going to invest in this. I was like, "You, dude, you have a Nigerian princes." In- <laughs> I said, "Is this really where this is going?" Um, so no, it, he uh, uh, he's still like in the process of doing this. But um, I'll, I'll fast forward in a minute. But uh, so, anyways, he's speaking at this conference on a Wednesday before we close on Monday, and he's supposed to have the money Wednesday night. He's seven hours ahead. I'm texting him. Hey, how'd it go? How'd it go? All day Wednesday, I hear crickets. I text him all day Thursday, I hear crickets. Friday, Friday morning, he texts me back. He's like, dude, I wasn't like, there's too much red tape. There's too many legal issues. Um, it's going to be a little bit while longer. I don't have any of the money. And I was like, what? N- none of it? He was like, no, I don't have any. So I had to raise $4 million, um, essentially 48 hours. We're closing on Monday. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple things that, that happen in that situation is, is first you're like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? I got this big deal. I'm bringing the money. This is unbelievable. Like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. The world's crumbling. Sky's falling. And then you're like, dude, my family's healthy. My kids are happy. You know, if my biggest problem right now is raising $4 million to go and make $15 million on a deal, that's a pretty damn good problem to have. And yep. so I just changed my vision of how I wanted to attack this. And then I just got into problem solving mode, you know, and I, uh, I made a list of everybody I knew who's ever invested in a deal of mine and, um, anybody I knew who had money or access to capital. And then I, I put well, an email together with a, with an overview of the deal, all the financial information on the deal, along with, um, a Dropbox link to all the due diligence. Cause I realized I needed to hit a lot of people with this and I wouldn't be able to answer all the questions. So like, let me put all of it in one sit, one specific location. So that way I can fire that out, that single email out to them and they'll have everything to make a decision on this deal. And then I just started banging out calls, man. I was on the phone and on emails all day, Friday, um, slept for like three or four hours that night. I was on the phone all day, Saturday, um, answering people's calls and, and, uh, uh, and then finally Sunday morning, um, got started getting commitments and da da da. And, and, and so I, I raised, um, I was able to get $4 million raised up by six different people, um, that I had pretty much already done business with, mm-hmm. um, who already trusted me on a smaller level. And, you know, from, from, from $200,000 up to $1.5 million is, uh, what these six people brought. And so I was able to roll that into the deal and made it happen. Very nice. 
I, I like to say too, money, money's easier to raise when the deal's a good deal and a, a four to $15 million kind of a, a pro forma probably, probably helped some there as well. I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. It was a smoking deal. I gave up more equity and a better return than I thought I had to. Um, you know, those, those actual six people, uh, most of it was short term cash actually. So yeah. I, I was paying a pretty penny, um, for the money and I was able to borrow it for like 90 days and then get it all swapped out with long-term equity investors over the course of that 90 days. So we actually just wrapped it up. Um, and, uh, yeah, finally that's off my plate now, but now it's just, we're slamming out the value add on this thing. You know, we're all into this deal for probably like $24 million and it's worth about somewhere between 40 to 45 million, depending on what the lending environment and everything's going to be like, um, uh, middle of next year. So awesome. it's a, sweet deal and it was a kick in the crotch when it happened but you know it was it was also a lot of fun and because i reached out to all those people uh talking about this deal what you'll find is like all of a sudden it opened up conversations with people that i would have never opened up a conversation with before and now it's easier for me to raise money today than it was 40 you know four months ago so now i have money queued up for all these other deals that i have in the pipeline and it's um it's something that I, I didn't really expect to come out of it. But, you know, a lot of times people are like, hey, man, I'd be involved in this deal, but I just I'm not liquid right now. I got to wait for this to sell or that to open up or whatever happened. And um, it's all about timing with private lenders. So, yep. um, you know, staying in touch with your private lenders, touching them once a quarter um, or even more often if you can is a uh, is a great way to just, you know, make it easier for when you do come across a situation like that. Um, you know, they already know what you have in the pipeline and stuff. So it was a. Uh, really really cool that's a that's a cool story appreciate you sharing so um last question that we'll get you out of here so it, se- it seems like you're a you're a super networked guy both on the capital raising side of the business as well as even getting looks and deal flow in right from from others so i'd love to love to learn a little bit how do you build your network you know how have you built your network and for those of those of the people that are out there listening to this you know, if they want to get a hold of you, if they have a deal, if they have capital to invest, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Cool. Well, appreciate that. And um, yeah, so I'll answer your question first, then I'll go over um, some ways that we can uh, connect. So I'm I'm pretty big on social media, and I wasn't, you know, I don't know, twelve months ago. What do you mean, and like so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Facebook is really the only one I'm on. I have accounts okay. with all the other ones, um, and so I, what I'm trying to do is like. I don't know, get my assistant or uh, hire a marketing company to then post all my Facebook content onto these other social media platforms. So I'm not doing it hundred percent of the time, but it's usually on Facebook. And so on Facebook, um, you know, one of my buddies was like, dude, you know, you can have 5,000 friends on Facebook and it doesn't cost you anything. I was like, actually, yeah, that's a pretty good point. Like, um, you know, I, I was always like, uh, I'm not going to start friending people, but then I just went through and I friended everybody who was like involved in real estate or an entrepreneur. Pretty much all entrepreneurs is, is who I friended on Facebook. And then I just started providing so much value and content on deals I was doing, on the breakdown of it, of podcasts I was on, on um, you know Facebook Lives, personal development stuff, and like tactical real estate things. And just to provide value. I would never ask for anything. I was just trying to help other people realize that they can get involved in commercial real estate. Um, and it's not as complicated as they might think it's a lot simpler than, uh, than they might construe their mind. And so, um, how I'm filing, how I'm finding deals, how I'm structuring my private money, how I'm, um, everything, managing contractors, like all that stuff. And it's just like, 
just providing free value. And people, I, I got this, this organic following that occurred then on social media and, and then people started friending me. And then all of a sudden I'm up to 5,000 friends and, you know, 1,200, 1,500 followers and this and that and all this other stuff. And, um, and then I get more attention and then I'm invited out to speaking engagements and I'm invited on more podcasts. And then it just starts like compounding and snowballing, um, when you give and give and give. And, you know, I, I had some stuff going on, so it was easy for me to do that. Even if you don't have a lot of stuff going on in your business, you can go call up Matt Rodak or a Tim Bratz or somebody else who has things going on in their business and interview them on a Facebook live. And then all of a sudden you're cross pollinating your followers with their followers. And then you, you're going to organically build your own following. And, um, and I've done a lot of that too, just kind of connecting with other people on Facebook Live, other other influencers I know in the space, and then all of a sudden, you know, some of their followers are following me, some of my followers are following them, and uh, we're able to provide even more value to everybody who's trying to like just scale up in real estate. So, I've done a lot of that, and you know, I plug into all these um, national mastermind groups mm-hmm. as well, and um, and then actually that turned into like a coaching program as well. I had a lot of people, every time I post a deal, somebody wants to sell me a deal. Somebody wants to uh, buy a deal from me. They want a joint venture with me. They want to lend me private money, or they want to pay me uh, to coach them and mentor them on how to do this. So uh, I had an education company hit me up at the beginning of the year, and that was never really like my thing. I don't, I don't want to be a guru. Um, but if there's a way that I can kind of educate people the right way, how to invest in apartment buildings, and then I can hold their hand and walk them, do a deal with them. Now I, now I'm confident in their ability and I can take the hard stuff off their plate. I can help, you know, to teach them how to market. I can bring all the money. I can bring the financing. Like that's the biggest hurdle in a lot of people's minds. And so, um, that's how I've done a lot of my joint venture opportunities now with, with people who come out to my coaching program. So that's called a commercial You can go to commercialempire.com, fill out an application. I do events probably once a quarter, maybe, um, yeah, probably three or probably four or five times a year. And, uh, and it's real fun. We like, it's a three day intensive and, um, we do that. And then, um, you know, I, it's usually up here in Cleveland where I take through, uh, take you through like a couple of the apartment buildings that I have also. And then we paired up, like we rented out the rock and roll hall of fame one night and, and did some fun, there, some fun stuff there. We rented out the Brown stadium one day and, and like actually met there. Um, so we do some cool stuff that's fun. And then the networking is like the very high level, residential, um, investors, people who are making, you know, good money, flipping a lot of houses on the residential side, just looking to scale up. Um, cause you know, I, I think a lot of people get involved in real estate for the allure of passive income and residual income. And then we all get stuck in this transactional mode of, um, wholesaling or flipping. And, and that's cool. Like you can make a great living doing that, but to build wealth, I think you really need to own assets. And so it, it's a, it's a good way. Like I have a lot of people who I'm like, listen, keep on wholesaling cause you're crushing in the wholesale game. Take that money and either privately lend it into apartment buildings or passively invest in some apartment buildings, joint venture, whatever that looks like, um, to, to do a little bit of both, you know, especially with the climate's good and the, the um, economy's good right now. What happens as things change, as things shift, it's good to have a little bit of, uh, of both in your, in your arsenal. So, um, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of really sharp residential investors who want to parlay into apartment buildings. And that's, that's who usually comes out to my courses. Got it. Commercialempire.com. Check it out. So Tim, re- really appreciate you being with us today. This is super, super insightful. I kind of I was pulling out some summary points here. I think, um, the, the couple of things that resonated with me is, is 
get involved with a mastermind or some type of advisory board or someone to help you kind of see outside of your own universe. For for Tim, it was seeing that, yeah, he's making money and he's got a business, but perhaps there's other ways to make uh, make money and spend his time more wisely. I think, you know, especially as you start to build something up, you've got to continue to be courageous around looking at, am I, am I doing the right thing with my time? And if not, um, and I think, I think, you know, Tim, you did a, a really good job of, of identifying an opportunity and, and not necessarily betting the house on it, but kind of like easing your way into it until you're like, okay, this makes sense. This works. Right. And then get all your chips on the table. Like after you're, you're sure that you see the data, you see the, the business model it becomes more clear to you. Right. And the last thing I think that you, you talked about, which I, I love a lot is this idea of like running into problems. Uh, we talk about this a lot at fun that flip of, yeah, you get kicked in the face and it's easy to just kind of want to crawl under the table. But the reality is like, that's not going to solve the problem. And it's also like why you've got the business that you've got and why you, you get paid to do what you get to do. Cause no one else is doing it right. No one else is solving the problems. There's a great story with the, the private, private money, private money story there. So anything else you'd like to add to that, uh, the, 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 the summary there of what I, I got out of our conversation. Yeah, man. I, I, I think you hit on everything. You know, it's just don't let, don't let your reasons for doing something be your excuse for not doing it kind of a thing. Like, Hey, I don't have money. I can't get involved in real estate. Like that's why you need to get involved in real estate because you don't have money. You know, how about never having to have that conversation ever again? Like I don't have time. That's why I need to get that. That's why I can't get involved in real estate. Like that's why you need to get involved in real estate and start buying right. passive assets. <laughs> so that way you have time to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want to. And so, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people focus on not having the resources and they need to focus on just being resourceful. You know, I yep. heard Tony Robbins say resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. And, um, man, that stuck with me hard. And, uh, it's probably my favorite quote, you know, for the past year is just like, be resourceful. You will figure it out. You will solve the problems, you know, ask yourself questions that get your mind thinking on how to solve problems versus saying, I can't do that. Or there's no way that that could happen. That shuts off your brain versus, um, stimulating your brain and on thinking of on, on solutions. So just be solution oriented, be resourceful and, uh, yeah, you'll rock and roll and, um, have a ton of success. So I wish everybody the, the most success and Matt, appreciate you having me, buddy. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. This is awesome, man. Appreciate it. And thank you all for listening uh, to this episode of real estate investing unscripted for more great resources or to get funding for your next project, head on over to fundthatflip.com. Otherwise look forward to having you on the show, uh, or having you listen to the show next time. Thanks a lot, guys.